Welcome to the Intentional Growth Podcast, the show that teaches you how to grow the value of a company with an end in mind. Host Ryan Tansom interviews top business leaders, authors, entrepreneurs, and other professionals who share their experience and expertise about buying, growing, and selling companies. Welcome to the Intentional Growth Podcast. This is episode 241. I'm your host, Ryan Tansom. Have you given much thought to how much trust people put in you and how that trust impacts you and your business? If you haven't, you really should. Trust is more important than capital. Trust is what is necessary for two people or two companies to exchange goods and services in order for them to trust that each other are going to hold up their end of the bargain. We have all these things in our world that help us validate who the other person is and whether they're going to do what they say they're going to do. So capital comes second. Once you trust that the other person is going to give you whatever it is that you're going to exchange for money, then the world can continue and progress. So again, we have to have trust before we can even use our capital. On today's show, we have David Horsager, who is the world's expert on trust. David's been on the show before. He was on episode 181, but he is about ready to launch his new book called The Trusted Leader. And there's so much going on over the last 12 to 18 months that have to do with trust that I thought it was absolutely timely and relevant to have him back on the show. Just a couple points to reference to show you that David is the guy to be talking about trust. David is the national bestseller of the book called The Trust Edge, inventor of the Enterprise Trust Index, and director of one of the nation's foremost trust studies called The Trust Outlook. David's work has been featured in publications like Fast Company, Forbes, Wall Street Journal, and David has advised leaders and delivered life-changing presentations on six continents with audience ranging from FedEx, Toyota, global governments, and the New York Yankees, as well as the Department of Homeland Security. So yeah, I guess you could say David's kind of a big deal. In today's interview, we're going to give you an inside look at the impact trust has on you and your business from all your stakeholders, how your staff performs to how lucky you are to land a contract to how you're dealing with things as it relates to bringing on your advisors, potentially selling the business, whatever you're dealing with, trust is the most critical factor of the equation. David will give an overview of his eight pillars of trust alongside the pertinent examples and thought-provoking questions to ensure that you have the tools you need to start building better relationships with all your stakeholders. He'll share how to help people hold you accountable and how to embrace learning the alternative viewpoints that are around you in order to build trust in more markets and all the stakeholders that are around you. This is an episode you don't want to miss because if you can tap into the trust edge, then everything else becomes easier. Customers flow in, you hire the right people, you attract the right buyers, you attract the right strategies. It is truly the first domino that needs to be set into motion in order for you to hit your long-term goals. Thanks so much for tuning in. I really hope you enjoy this episode with David Horsager. Sponsored by Arcona's Intentional Growth Digital Course. Ryan Tansom and Pat Hobby show you how to shift your mindset away from solving for annual income to focusing on strategies that create long-term value, giving you the freedom and choices to take control of the future destiny of your business. 
Accelerate your knowledge with 36 videos and dozens of exercises that combine decades of experience buying, growing, and selling companies. Learn more by going to arcona.io or visiting the show notes. David, how are you? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, Ryan. Great to talk to you. Yeah, I'm super pumped. Uh, so many reasons I'm excited too. One, you just launched a podcast. Excited to talk about that. Uh, by the time this goes out, you'll be launching your book, uh, which is already done. I can see it in the background. But also, David, your topic is so freaking important right now. Like, I, like even in the last 18 months since you've been on the show, it's like I could just think of you. No, <laughs> tr the no trust issues these days. <laughs> yeah, none whatsoever. <laughs> Everybody believes everything. Everybody's all smiles and happy and harmonious. But uh, so why don't you just, you know, Give the listeners a quick background of you, what's going on, and then why the new book? Yeah, so, I mean, 20 years ago, I took a look at something, this old topic, trust, in a whole new way, and my grad work became about it. And one of the first to kind of show how trust affects the bottom line more than anything else, we started using this framework in companies that actually worked. We drove down attrition, we drove up sales, we used it, and then uh, that, that book, Trust Edge, became a Wall Street Journal bestseller and, and kind of gained wind and uh, changed the name of the institute to Trust Edge Leadership Institute. And uh, along the way, it changed me. It changed the way I parent and uh, am as a husband and everything else. It was transformative. We've had people say it helped them triple their, their sales. We've had people say it, it saved their marriage. So I'm passionate about it. We use it, everything on uh, from corruption issues with the presidents of countries in East Africa to uh, pro sports teams to business. But the, the, in fact, our eight pillar framework for building trust was just revalidated last year by an outside university as the way trust is built globally. That's I'm awesome. really passionate, passionate about it. So uh, the new book is called Trusted Leader, and I'm super excited about it. Just just got my hands on it in pre-published, and <laughs> it comes out March 30th. So I think this will be launching right then. It's got a lot of headwind. John John Maxwell called it a pivotal guide for today's leader. Uh, we've got some fun Blanchard and CEO President of Saatchi and Saatchi and President High Point. Just there's some really and cool Caribou too. I saw. <laughs> yeah, President Caribou. Here we are in Minnesota. Even a Walmart uh, SVP and Dr. Cobain from High Point. You know so. It's gained some, at least people are excited about it. Why Why now? I think what we kept finding is a couple things. One, that first book, 360 pages or whatever, based on my grad work, that's an evergreen book, Trust Edges. But Trusted Leader, obviously, in the last decade, we've learned a lot about how do you build trust tomorrow morning, right? How do you build it today as a leader? So the first half of the book is a parable to just shift thinking about trust. And it's really fun and engaging and it takes a through a journey of, of Ethan where he just about loses company and uh, Sonny Bonaventure shows him a different way and, and kind of an actual, but inspired by a real story that I had in a boardroom when one of the most junior people asked a question and it changed everything and saved their company. So anyway, mm -hmm. so I, that that story is compelling and fun. It shifts thinking about trust. You know, we think we know it all about trust, right? It's, oh, trust is vulnerability. Well, and transparency. Well, some of your kids are so transparent on social media, I don't trust them for a second because <laughs> confidentiality is also trusted, yeah. right? So it's, it shows the complexity of trust and the simplicity of trust in a new way and the opportunity in trust and makes the case for trust. And then the second half practically dives into those eight pillars of exactly how you can build trust as a leader tomorrow because trust is your leading indicator 
everything else lags. I believe that, by the way, more than ever. Our research, we do also, I'm getting on a roll here. I'm usually I'm right, back and it, forth a little bit. Sorry. Keep it going. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll get a little bit out here. And then I'll take a breath and drink. I'll a interrupt. Don't, don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so our research, we put out one of the biggest studies on trust and leadership still out of the Institute. And one of the findings was year to year, we kept finding uh, ahead of being paid more, ahead of a more fun work environment with a ping pong table, the number one reason people want to work for an organization is trusted leaders. And and basically, we found that everyone either wants to be a tr trusted leader or they want to follow one. And so um, we also found that people kept thinking, well, isn't trust something you either have or you don't? And actually, you can actively build it. And so this book is simple, usable, shorter, but really an actionable framework for how do I build trust tomorrow morning, you know, as a leader? How do we build it into our organization? Mm -hmm. How do we how do we do it in a way that lead that 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 really affects the bottom line? And remember, I believe nothing affects the bottom line more than trust. I believe mm -hmm. trust is always the leading indicator. So you don't have a leadership issue. The only reason I follow a leader or not is sales. It's not a I mean is is trust. You don't have a sales issue, the only reason I buy or not has something to do with Trust. I don't have a, a, a marketing issue. The only way to amplify a marketing message, increase trust in the message. It's not a diversity issue. Got all these diversity issues of our day, right? The, only, the biggest problem is people solving the wrong problem. And that is the biggest Harvard study shows diversity on its own pits people against each other unless you increase trust. The only way to get the great value of diversity is increase trust. So I love it. And I want to unpack because you said something that is what I want to pack, unpack is Trust is complex, but you want to make it simple. And I want to talk about some of the points that I want to unpack of why I think it's complex and how your eight pillars can un can help decipher that. It, but before, just to uh, expand on what you were just saying, David, is everything is based all of, so much of the economy and the transaction of commerce has to do with trust. Bitcoin and also blockchain is to eliminate the need to validate other people to make sure they're trustworthy. If you and I wanted to go back and forth yep. on a, a piece of asset, you'd say, okay, do I trust Ryan? And is he going to pay me? And that's like- There's the technology. <laughs> that's how, by the way, technology can increase trust or decrease trust. And mm -hmm. Bitcoin or, you know, is blockchain is increasing trust, right? Mm -hmm. And so is, you know, there was other ways that, that technology has been used to increase trust. Yeah. And, and we're not going to get into the, all, everybody can make up their, all their own assumptions or where things are at based on the political environment, the social stuff, all that stuff is all based in this topic, David. And that's why I want to unpack it. And what I think is super interesting and you, you mentioned it in your parable, it's not a bank account you can go just take it out of. And Brene Brown has this example in her book, uh, Daring Greatly. I think it's that one or is the one of hers where they were talking about, you know, marbles. Every time you, because you're talking about building trust. So every time you put a marble in, but then every time that you don't, you take it out. And I think you actually have a more accurate view of that. It can be wiped out like that. Yeah, so it's not just it's taking true. a marble out. It's So how do you take and hold these things in balance where it's complex, but in, you're also building trust in the transparency example is wonderful Yeah, because you want to be transparent, but like you, you could erode it by doing too much. So how do you hold, sharing the wrong thing? Yeah. 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 Well, I, I mean, there's, the, the, first of all, I'm just kind of cut through some misnomers like, uh, Oh, trust takes a long time to build. It can, but in a moment of crisis, like nine 11 complete strangers trust each other in a second, if they're running the same direction. So, uh, you know, there's, there's just some change, some shift, uh, trust, uh, you know, you, when's your fastest opportunity to build trust first interaction, right? 
Well, that's a good time, but your fastest opportunity to build trust is in crisis. You got a massive opportunity if people are ticked off at you to build trust faster than any other time. You know, we have the, 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 so yeah, so that, that first part, we have to see how it's complex, but also how it is, it is simple in that it it is the root cause. So, and that's what the research kept showing. What it's is like the most definition people, of trust for everybody? Like, so like, just, yep. oh, yeah, like, yeah, as trust you're going is into a it. competent belief in a person, product, or organization. So, it, when I have a confident belief in you to deliver on what you say, to do what's right, when I have a confident belief in, then everything changes. And that, that goes back to the first, you know, the first half of my, of the grad work way back mm-hmm. that's in the trust edge. And that just shows, but I was just looking at what's unique about the, about the most successful leaders and organizations of all time. And it kept coming back to trust. And what happened was when trust went up, then attrition went down, then retention went down. It was the lever that actually guided success. Then, then time got shorter. Remember, like the simple example, I think, I, I, uh, is, is the lock business. Like, why do we have locks? Well, there's only one reason. It's because I don't trust you. Otherwise, I wouldn't have a lock. <laughs> so there's a lack of trust. So what's the cost of a lack of trust? Well, money, I got to buy the lock or time. Now I got to open it. Or, or uh, you know, people can think without all my research they, or whatever. It yeah, is. Exactly, yeah. they can think about anything. But think about it in every regard. So you think your team doesn't trust each other? Okay, now innovation just tank because they won't share ideas. Or write a text to someone you trust. Boom, done. Now write a text to someone you don't trust. Oh, how long is that going to take? Oh, oh, I better delete that. Oh, how should I say this? Oh, that, <laughs> it just costs me enormous time, right? Yeah. So there's always a cost where there's a lack, lack of trust, and we all have lacks. But when we close those gaps, then we see whatever you know, it be uh, the key driver to success in that area in sales attrition or a marriage, right? So, what is the biggest challenge that you see with leaders understanding this? I see them solve the wrong issue and call it the wrong thing, and it, that's that's the biggest problem. I all the the second thing I see is people say, "I oh, I believe in that trust stuff," and then totally not put anything behind it or decide to change it. And we've, we've had companies as an example that have put something behind it and dropped attrition by millions of dollars. I was a part of a different massive company that you would know where the senior C leader said to everybody after I keynoted an event for the top leaders of a hundreds of thousand person organization, say, we are in all in on this trust stuff. I believe it. We're going to roll this thing out. We're going to do this, this, and this, and didn't do anything else didn't follow through. And as you can imagine, the next year on their enterprise trust index score, it tanked. So it would have been worse to not ever even have me than to say you're going to, right? So follow through um, distraction for leaders is a problem as you can, you and I can imagine even in our own lives, entrepreneurs. I mean, there's so many important things, but you got to make trust central. I mean, we, we say it all the time. Atrophy is guaranteed without intentional action. And that, that's, that came out of an inspiration of me watching a very dear bodybuilding friend of mine, 48 years old, Kevin Ridgway. He was hit head on by a Land Rover, it squashed him in his vehicle. And um, he was, you know, you can imagine what a bodybuilder's physique looks like. And he should have died, except for the surgeon said the muscle mass on his chest. He went into a coma for five and a half weeks. They said he'd wake up with brain damage if he woke up at all. He woke up without brain damage. And 66 days later, I got a picture of him the first day he could stand up for a few seconds. And I'll show those two pictures at an event. And they see the first one. And then they see the second one, the atrophy. 
And what's the truth? The truth is if you can't put in the right uh, bodybuilding, the right proteins, mm -hmm. the right water, vegetables, you're going to lose. You're going to atrophy. What's the truth for all of us in our businesses, in our mm -hmm. in culture, in relationships? Every relationship you have is atrophying every single day because of two things, time and change. The only thing that stops atrophy is inputting the right things, the right proteins, the right way. Right? And so we have to have a consistent way to put in the right trust building activities. You want to be a trusted leader? The problem is it's not just once. It's consistency. It's one of the pillars, right? So you have to um, have a way to stop atrophy. And the only way is to put, you know, trust more building. More stuff in. Right. Exactly. So I want to pull, because that, that consistency is a, be, yeah, let's just pull this right for a second. Because I, th I think, you know, David, what I've always said, and this has been kind of one of my just personal operating uh, values, is hypocrisy and inconsistency are the things that are absolute deal breakers for me. Like I can't handle it. And like, like literally if I woke up and I was in my own worst nightmare in hell, I would be being a flake, which is the opposite of consistency in my opinion, and a, a hypocrite. So because those are kind of my two things, I, you can have absolutes though. And I think there's just something that is struggling in the world where you have this consistency and human beings and our brains are wired to be consistent. And then when things change, you have the sunk cost fallacy of like, okay, I'm going to go back and become a hypocrite if I change my thoughts. Well, right? I don't agree with that completely because it's, there's certain types of consistency too. So, I mean, even Abraham Lincoln said, I hope I'm not the same tomorrow as I am today. Mm -hmm. You know, at least that was he's quoted for. So any good quote, you can just say Abraham Lincoln said it. So, right. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's exactly. either him or Martin Luther King. Sharpen the axe, so, right? <laughs> Mark Twain. Um, <laughs> there you go. Um, but, uh, or Oprah, you, you know, just choose. Um, but, but, uh, you know, he's noted as saying that. So we want to get better. And we can get better, and yet there is there's value in consistency, and part of it is consistently getting better. So, you know, I think I don't know. Should I jump in and just share quickly the eight? Yeah, yeah, that would be yeah, okay. awesome. The only just as a context, so I can talk about these eight pillars for 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 a day each. You know, so it's an encyclopedia of content here. But for context, I want to share them because of this. They've been validated and revalidated. PhDs have been built on them as the way trust is built globally. It's their simple eight pillar framework for how trust is built. They, they, they are denoted by C words, but don't let that make you think there's some motivational book that just wanted alliteration. They're all <laughs> denoting a yeah. research funnel, right? That's yes. the biggest problem. I should have not used that because then I got put in a category of, of, of whatever. But so these eight, um, and I believe, well, also that I will balance out. I, I believe in exactly what you said about absolutes in some ways. Mm -hmm. And yet I will also argue that you can solve every organizational and leadership issue against these eight. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean it's easy. That doesn't mean I can do it or know how to do it. It just means that if you get the right language, you actually have a chance at solving it. So under these eight, there are many tools, but let me just share them so people get the context for how mm -hmm. trust is built. So, so this is, the, and this is what we measure against in all of our measurement tools of trust, whether it's individuals, organizations, or customers, we're measuring against these eight. 
So number one, in no, no particular weighted order, uh, order, but here they are. Number one is clarity. People trust the clear and they mistrust or distrust the ambiguous or the overly complex. If you ever complexify beyond what is needed, you lose clarity, which loses trust. Number two is compassion. We trust those that care beyond themselves. We have a hard time following a leader or being accountable to a leader that doesn't seem to care at all for you or somebody else. Number three is character. We trust those that do what's right or what's easy. The problem is many people think character is everything and it's good and important and it fits your hypocrisy example. It's one deal breaker, but I might trust Ryan to take me to the ball game or my kids to the ball game because of his character. That doesn't mean I'll trust Ryan to give me a root canal. Right. <laughs> right. So, so you have you have to have pillar number four in the area you want to be trusted, which is competency. We've got to stay fresh and relevant and capable. Next pillar is commitment. We tend to trust those that stay committed in the face of adversity. So, you know, you think of anybody in history that's left a legacy: Mandela, yep. Martin Luther King, Gandhi, Jesus, Joan of Arc. I mean, they were committed to a cause, and people trust them for it. Uh, in many cases. Next is connection: the willingness, the ability to connect and collaborate with others. And that you know, in in companies, we look for counterforces of trust, like. In this one, it would be like siloing would be mm -hmm. a counterforce to connection. Next pillar is contribution, which the, the number one word that came out of this research funnel was results. We trust those that contribute results. So you could have character and compassion. You'd be the most compassionate surgeon I ever met. We go in for amputation, cut off the wrong leg. We got a problem, right? <laughs> right. You got to get results. And this is the work of work. We got to contribute yeah. results. So... And then finally, consistency. Sameness is trusted. So whatever you do consistently, it's the only way to build a reputation, the only way to build a brand, good or bad. If you're late all the time, I'll trust you to be late. So that's the eight pillars. And the reason I want to give that is because now, even though we're not, you, you know, the rest of our time together, we can go deeper on any one of them. We, there's tools and tactics on any that's of them. That's the lens. But that lens matters because that on its own just gave a language for solving the right issue. So when I said the biggest problem for leaders, they're not dealing, and, and actually 100, page 159 on the new book gives a framework for look at the real issue for a four-step mm -hmm. process for, for using these. But basically, um, as an example, people think in companies, oh, we got an engagement issue. You don't. The only way to solve for engagement is one of those or more of them. The only way to get a higher net promoter score is increased trust. The research shows it. Or let's take this. David, you like C's a lot. What about communication? Isn't it ever a communication issue? <laughs> it is never, ever at the core communication issue. Communication is happening all the time. Clear communication is trusted. Take the first pillar. Unclear communication isn't. Compassionate is trusted. Hateful isn't. So you can go down the list and say, oh, now if we get more clear, oh, we get, we get the communication we want. We, we get compassion. So you can follow this down and you can actually solve for that marketing message, that leadership, whatever. So that gives a little context. And it quantifies that feeling in your stomach that everybody knows. This is core to being human, right? Like you right. know... When, I mean, it's the whole three o'clock in the morning phone call from a friend. You know what I mean? Like, it's those kind of things where like, you just know, but you're able to now describe it because language is the biggest barrier to our feelings. And this is all the things you're just talking about is decision-making. So how do you, you know, you do a good job in the parable in the beginning of the book and kind of explain how these eight, eight pillars are helping become, helping become, uh, or helping create more aware leaders. Or maybe well, like, like what, how the book effectively does that. Yeah, the the book does it in that you know the book. There, there's different people that stand for different kind of pillars. Uh, <laughs> you know, so people get they can relate or not to that person, to Ethan or Sonny or you know the the, the different characters. 
uh, and they see themselves in them. That's what we hear. Like, oh, this is where I'm not. I'm not clear. That's why I'm not getting trusted here. Oh, I see how that person, Maria, had that connection pillar or compassion pillar, or you know, it's like, oh, okay. And so they they get it that way. What what we keep hearing is this gave. I I, I didn't even realize it was a trust issue there. I didn't realize it was one of these pillars. I, I that that blows me. Oh, now I get it. Okay. So then they can move to that application part and say, okay, how are, what are some ways that I can increase clarity? You know, and, and we give some ideas. I give an ODC model in there and the how, how, how method and under, under compassion, I give the spa method for appreciative work environment or whatever. We can go into any of them you want. I'm not, I have open book on everything, but the, it, it, you know, effectively it shifted thinking about trust to see it as the core issue. And, and then it showed these pillars through people and experiences in a fun way that help people connect and say, oh, I see myself in that. Now I see a way out. How can I apply this to my own leadership or business or marketing or whatever? So I think I'm curious on like how you, cause you probably gotten these questions a thousand times. They're like, one is like, if someone's not self-aware and I just think about all the d- divisive topics that we have, I mean, you name a topic right now, right? And narcissistic, like, I mean, oh, what do you God. do? You know? It's just like, it, like, like I want to have a conversation, but like when you immediately start off on, on a hateful foot and like outside of all the social issues or political issues or economic issues, this is just, it goes right into your company with a manager and an employee. Like, when someone in that relationship knows that the trust is off, probably most likely the employee at this point, how yep. do you engage in that person that doesn't have the awareness of the so, situation? Yeah. I mean, there's a couple things to say here. Number one, how do I coach any executive? I, I You have to get buy-in and make the case for it, but you have to do it in a way of, here's how this is affecting you. You might not see this, but- when you do that, people actually don't listen because of this. People don't trust you because of that, okay? That's the first step in coaching. If they will not, you know, you you help them on their terms of what this means to you is, if you don't start to understand this, you're not going to be here very long, or you're going to lose sales for us, or you're going to, something they want. You're going to lose your marriage if you don't start li- just understanding. You, you can keep saying you don't get it, don't care, whatever, but here's what's going to happen, right? So you have to start that conversation with how's that going to affect them? Now, on the same token, all of my work is almost all of it is on what can I do to be most trusted? What can our business do? Okay, what, what can our organization, right. our government? So a lot of the work, you know, I'll have people come to my events even say, dude, I love this stuff. I love this. My boss should have been here. They need it. My, my spouse should have been here. They, my teenagers need this. They should have been. They're not here. You're here. I'm here. So all we can do is ta- work on ourselves in many ways. Mm-hmm. So to that senior leader, let's just say, uh, uh, I guess you you told the story the opposite way, but if well, someone, anybody, David, I mean, like a lot yep, of people listening yep. are business owners or they yep. got advisors okay, so and there's always like, this is perfect for your leaders that you got one employer, a hundred employees um, or a thousand. doesn't matter. Here's what I see happen is one, you need to coach that. And the way you coach is show them the impact that they're making, but some will not get it. And here's, I'll tell you a story. Here we are in Minneapolis today, in Minneapolis area. A story right close to us. There was a vice president. The vice president had, I want to say, nine directors below him. Eight great directors. One sloth. Total untrustworthy, terrible piece of 
poison, right? It kept going. It kept going. It kept going. Who do all of these eight hate? The leader. They don't hate the sloth. They hate the leader because the leader's not doing his job. And so at some point, you, I'm not saying to start trusting people that shouldn't. I've had people come up to me again, this, this, this woman, oh, I want to trust my guy again. I, like, I love him. I love him. I love him. But he keeps doing that to you. So, but I want to trust him now. Well, you trust him that he will keep doing that to you. you <laughs> Consistency. Know, right? Yeah, right? You know, He's consistent. <laughs> you still trust him. It's just don't trust him to do something different when he hasn't proven any different, right? right. So, so with this situation, yes, coach first and show them what's going to happen. Give, give, we have an accountability framework. If you want it, we'll give it out for free. But it's kind of this, at some point you say, here's the ramifications. If you do this, this is what's going to happen. If you do that, that's what's going to happen. So you're clear ahead of time. That's healthy coaching, not just firing people without telling them or showing them or, or coaching them. But at some point, you got to do the work as a leader and you actually have to trust them for what they're always doing. And that means you have to do what's best for all and the mission of the organization which is confronting that in a way that doesn't allow that to be there anymore. Super helpful. I want to go up, up a ladder, up a rung in the ladder. And cause you were talking to the, the owners that are listening and yeah. how to deal with potentially that sloth or someone else. Mm-hmm. That's one of the issues. If someone's listening and all I'm thinking about is like, there's this one uh, uh, weekend on church I went to and they came back out. And then the person that I was with, took this message. I'm sitting there the whole time going, Oh my gosh, should they be listening to this? And they came out and they were like, Oh, you know who should have been here? And I'm like, Oh my gosh, you missed the whole thing. So if someone's listening in and they're like, Oh, they're going to start placing their executives into this. Yeah. If they have it. And if they haven't done this themselves or they're blind to this. And one last part, part of that, David is I would, as we do our training for our business, almost every time, I walk out and I go, the reason that that company is not worth what it could be, the owner. Yep. Almost totally. every single time. Systems, processes, procedures, people, recruiting, soft technology, it, it's all the same stuff. Yep. The only thing that's different is people. So what do you do to that person that's thinking that? Well, it's the same thing, okay, as a consultant. So, so in the other case, you're the leader above and you have to go down and do it, but you can also lead up. And so you can say to your leader, I mean, this depends on a lot of things. Some people don't have the courage for it. Some people think they'll get fired for it. Some people, whatever. So, but the only way I'm saying, if you want change, if you, if you don't have the courage for it and you don't want to leave, then yep, you just sit there in the poison and reminisce. I mean, I don't know what else you can do. But if you're, if you're, what you can do, the honorable way is to go to the leader above you that is not doing well with this, whatever it is, and saying to them, here's the problem with, here's what's happening because of that. I just know you'd want to know and honoring them. Hey, I'm grateful to work here. I'm grateful for what you do. I just thought I, 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 this might, you might not want to hear this, but here's what's happening to the team when you do that. Here's what's happening to me when I do, you know, and, and, and so I want, I just want you to know ahead of time, this is what's happening. People aren't trusting you as much and you just might want to know it and this and this and this. And that's the courageous conversation mm-hmm. that you need to have. And a leader will either change or they won't. It's an AB, right? Is it zero yeah, it's or one? very binary. <laughs> right, <Yeah>. binary. <laughs> so, and that, so they either change and they are grateful to you and they'll honor you or they'll 
possibly throw you under the bus, keep poisoning the situation, whatever. So, but you have to do what you're supposed to do, you know? So that's what I can still remember a massive organization. I get paid to tell the truth in organizations and I'm usually (laughs) respected for it. One big organization though, I told the truth about what I believe was happening with the president of North America in this organization. And I believe, I hope without ego, but I believe I was right. Mm -hmm. And of course, the wrong people heard that through the consultant under the bus, left that person there poisoning the organization. And it was years later that it, you know, was shown itself more, but, but the, but, but I had, I knew I could lose this client, which I did for a time, a big contract, but I, I mean, it's, this is the character pillar. You got to do what's right. Even when you don't feel like it, Mm -hmm. you know, what, if you're, if the, if the owners listening are thinking, how do I know where I stand on this? Because you've started to plant the seed and water it on this trust thing, but they don't know where they stand. What are the symptoms that they can see or what is a way to self-assess your, your Yeah, I think I didn't get on here to sell anything. I'll give you a free way in another way. But the, the, <laughs> there's a, you know, we have six ways we assess trust. And we have, I think, the most validated ways that trust uh, gets assessed in leaders and organizations and even customers. One is a self-assessment. You could take that. There's three behaviors for each of the eight pillars. I think we're going to include it in at uh, mm-hmm. the trustedleaderbook.com slash Ryan. And uh, that's you can take that, look at it, or reach out, and we'll, we'll happily let you look at that. That's a way you can kind of self-reflect and, and that kind of thing. Of course, self-assessments aren't valid because people lie about themselves or they miss <laughs> their own blind spots, right? So that is one way, and it can give some people clue, especially self-aware people, Um the other one that is valid is the Trust Edge 360, and that is we facilitate that, and it's technology-driven, but that looks at a 360-degree angle, and we ask other people what they see, and you mm-hmm. and you see clear, genuine gaps, and that is one of the most effective development tools if you are willing to get better. And we saw a massive change on somebody recently that you, you know, you just can hardly believe what happened to him over six months. So it's, it's, it's a very powerful tool. So, so this is why we create measurements because what gets measured tends to get, you know, acted Mm. on and results. But outside of that, I mean, if we're just symptoms, like, so like, if like, what are like experiences with their subordinates or their vendors or investors, like, where does this manifest itself? Well, anything, if trust is always the leading indicator, which we believe it is, then lower sales, less connection, people not liking the experience, any low low net promoter score, low anything, low engagement, it's always a f- function of trust. Mm-hmm. So then you could say, well, what kind of trust? Well, actually it was, uh, that was, there was no clarity. Like my issue, one of my issues is I teach on this. I know it. I know it. I'm totally imperfect at it, you know, but one of mine is clarity. My team knows I teach clarity. I, 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 I believe in clarity, but I have a great assistant that pushes me on clarity. Now Dave, you go through, I mean, I teach the ODC process. I created it, you know, it's like, Okay, Dave, but give, did you give me the D? Because, uh, you know, oh, no, I didn't. And, and so they'll push me. And, and when you have a healthy organization, they can push you on or, or mitigate your weaknesses. And that happens here all the time, which helps us be great because um, they're mitigating my weaknesses. It's so true, David. I like, I, I think about like when the trust is there, how awesome the productive conversations can go. Like one of my 
favorite people I talk probably too much about on this show is Ray Dalio. I just love everything he does because I mean, he essentially got so scared shitless back in the eighties that he's just terrified of being wrong or something. I think so. He just is like constantly surrounding himself by people that can like validate against what he's doing. What is like when you're sitting there and even if you are self-aware of the, uh, of this entire concept and trust and how do you hold the, like, so if you have a decision to make and you know that you're going, okay, what degree of transparency and clarity and consider, you know, cause like this one decision is going to probably capture all eight of these to some degree. Yeah, totally. And even like, like other than for me, like I can feel what I'm doing, what's right. I hope the yep. words are reflecting that, but how do you, how do yeah. you think about this when you're making a decision? Well, I'll tell you something. If you're doing leadership alone, you're doing it wrong. I don't care if you're a solopreneur or a CEO of a hundred thousand person organization. So I am, you know, this is one key to self-awareness. One was assessments. I talked about that, but the other is people that can speak truth into your face and you'll listen, right? So after this, this is my last meeting today, and I will go to a four-day retreat that I've been on for 28 years with the same four guys. We can get in each other's grill about, we know we love each other, but we can, we, we talk about things, both personal and business. We all run organizations, but, uh, but we are talking, how are you doing as a dad or how are you being a great dad? How are you doing as a husband? And we can't talk about anybody else. So it gets cut off. If you start saying, well, my wife needs to do this. You can't do it. All you can do is talk about what you can do better. And we each share for, believe it or not, it's not this go up to the cabin in Northern Minnesota and party. It is each of us share about three hours each mm-hmm. through a series of questions. And I'm telling you, our leadership has changed. Our, our you know, there's, a, there's a whole lot of that personally, especially. Um, so, so that, you know, those guys though, they're on speed. I talk to one of them about every other day. He's on my board. So I'll run questions like you're talking about by them. What do you think? How much? Whatever. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. So one is accountability groups. I have three mastermind groups like that. So one is that's real. That's the cl- intimate one. I have a business one where we all run learning companies where we're on quarterly calls and running big ideas to each other. And then another one that, uh, and so, so assessments help the peers in this space help. And you serve a lot of those peers, like you, you, your mm-hmm. content serves a lot of those peer groups. So that's valuable. And then the third one would be mentors, like mentors that you trust that can speak truth, right? So, hey, I want to run this idea, but they've been there before. They've led big organizations or what, or small ones or whatever. And you can just say, what do you think about this? And they somehow have a way, the best ones, mine at least, of saying, David, you, you know, you might be wrong here. <laughs> you know, you, uh. You know, I wonder if you approached it like this, or I wonder if you said, I'm curious instead of you guys should do this. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. or so few ideas. Uh, that was super helpful because you, you know what, one of the biggest things that I've, that I experienced when we were running our business and what kind of led to our, our training program, David, is that after we sold, I was like, what the heck was that? And then I, you just realize, and this is what Vistage and EO and all these CEO peer mm-hmm. groups are for, is that you know that that accountability group, like you said, every so many people in a business owner's life, an entrepreneur's life, have a vested interest in swaying your decision, whether it's for positioning for a career move or positioning to become a new vendor or a bigger customer or oh, you name it, or to buy the business because the buyers are coming in, the investment banker, what all like everyone. 
So you just like turtle up and you go, okay. But then you go to your, these accountability groups and they don't know the whole context. So you just, you feel so freaking alone. Yeah. So like, what do you do? And and maybe that you just have to separate where you have to find people that don't have a vested interest. Cause like, otherwise you have to have this barrier between you and others knowing that they have, they're, they're benefiting from your decision. Well, I certainly don't have all the answers. We could go back and forth and I could ask you questions about this exact thing and you'd, we'd pull wisdom out of you for sure, more of it. But I think the three types of people that I talked about, you're right, they're outsiders. So one way is that they know enough. Like one, my board chair that I talked to that doesn't have any vested interest, he doesn't have, in my case, it's an advisory chair. There's no ownership, okay? Mm-hmm. He's been here. He's met the whole staff. He knows a lot of what we're doing. We're talking a lot. And he freely gives advice uh, mm-hmm. to me. So that's one they know enough. They know enough inside. Okay. Those those others, you're right. They're not going to necessarily know enough. You have to have enough touches so they know enough to know the context and your pain and all that. That's That's true. The other way that you have to be very careful about, though, is inside the company. Like, I have some trusted, like a very trusted person in the organization that knows the pulse on things different than others, that knows the the language, that knows the, the um, you, you know, that I can run stuff through that isn't gossiping. It's you're my advisor inside, but you're also my, this person on the team. And mm-hmm. we talk through things. And so I, I talk through things with my um, chief of staff, with my EA, different things. But, but one person that has been with me the longest and mm-hmm. knows the heartbeat of who we are. I mean, I, I'm. There's just things that she knows that I can talk through decisions with, and I trust her advice. Yeah, I think it's whole. It's there's something that you you touched on that is they have enough touches, and mm-hmm. they have the context. Because I said that I, I've always said that context provides clarity. And yeah. what I did, and I don't. It definitely was not the recommended approach, which is hopefully why this show is solving some of these issues. Is so what I did is after the sale in 2014, I was like. I'm going to become an expert in everybody's domain because I don't trust anybody. <laughs> and so Uh-oh. it was this like, once I, if I can understand the domain and the motivations and where the money's coming from, I can at least have this objective lens of where I'm, because yeah. I, I still love all these different you know people, mm-hmm. but it's like, yeah. I just have to realize that your advice is probably coming from, you're going to have to make money, position yourself for career growth or something. And I yep. just need to know that that's happening when you're saying something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's true. I think it, it matters. Get, get, uh, create a whole kind of cadre of where you're bringing wisdom in from. Concept, context, like you said, and it's the constant drip yep. of that. And, and like you said, building the trust. So what are, you know, when you think about like all the stuff that's going on, and just the the pure information and noise that's out there right now, what are ways that you see that people are coping with that or having good dialogue with people to rise above that, to actually get to a place from grace and from love where you can yeah. actually have these trustworthy conversations? It is challenging. It is challenging. But <laughs> I'll tell you, you this. I'm glad the, that's pe- the, still, the people the that I trust are reading things different than themselves. I think I read an article from a PhD this week. I wish I knew it right in my head, but she's uh, out of Biola and basically said, I think it's something like this. The title is something like seeing the other side. And like, you know, man, if you're getting everybody of your news from just that side or getting everybody your news from that side, I don't trust you even in business 
because of the, the way you get your news. You're, the mm-hmm. way you're unwilling to see, you can't see the both sides of a problem if you can only see life one way. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not saying don't have conviction. I have lots of it. Mm-hmm. I have absolutely beliefs about what would be best for all people, what what should be voted through Congress and what shouldn't. Um, but, you you know, the one piece here is you, you got to listen to podcasts and listen to and, and think about things that are different than you that, you know, from different perspectives. And another thing that gives people wisdom as far as being able to have conversations from both perspectives, multiple perspectives and see things differently is reading biographies. You know, so I'm only, only inspired by this from a friend of mine that challenged me a bunch that uh, he's written like he's written 20 New York Times bestselling books, but he's read an enormous amount of books and, and he's he's uh, thousands of books, but he's he's read so many biographies. I was like, man, I need to start reading biographies again because that the perspective shift. Interesting. Yeah. So what are the things that like you're doing? Like who, like who are the like people you trust the most and what is it that you get from them and how often do you keep in touch and how do you balance those relationships? There's, there, there's a few different layers there. There are, there are these, this, this team of four guys that I trust enormously. Right. And some of them, we see each other every year at that event. And then a few times through the year, we have a Zoom or talk, depending on part of the country. And one of them, I'm talking to every other day, probably. So mm-hmm. that's the high, high, high trust, high touch. In my, also, you trust for certain things, right? So it's just like I might trust somebody in a certain way, but maybe not their character on a certain thing, but their wisdom on finances might be really good, right? Mm-hmm. And so in my other kind of, like, funny enough, it's all happening this week. So yesterday we had our quarterly call with a different, uh, mastermind group that I have. And there's there's a lot of, you know, that one, it happens every quarter. We met, used to meet in face-to-face twice a year, but there there's, uh, we touched, you know, text more than that. So there there's those, there's those people that you're touching some, but there's others that you just get it and feel it, right? You, you, mentors, I'm just going to pick up the book, um, you know, I've had the unique opportunity over the last month or so to get to know Horst Schultze. He was the founder of Ritz-Carlton Hotels. I could tell of other kind of mentors I've had and uh, just people I've known that are really smart and wise and whatever, I just resonated with him to the core right away. And, you know, that's the, just all kinds of things led to that. Mm -hmm. But he, you know, it hasn't been that long. And yet I would trust about anything he said about service and business and helping people and that kind of thing. So uh, his new book, uh, Excellent Win- Excellence Wins, I've read it twice already. But so, you know, some of it, you just, mm-hmm. it, it is, you know, you got you intuition. You, you know, intuition really isn't, isn't weightless. It's your body and mind and everything taking in all these things without you even knowing. You're taking in things. I was you just say, get your it. feeling yeah. is the part yeah. of the eight pillars and you've Absolutely. just been able to now describe what's going on discerning it absolutely yes yes. yeah so is there an example in the book that you can pull from where someone falls out of trust where they've eroded trust that really hits home with people and how to gain it back there's an example and i'll just tell you this I'm trying to think of specifically what, what all I put under that story of, yeah, um, well, this is just a, a quick analogy to that question. And that is, how do you rebuild trust? Mm-hmm. And we've all lost trust. How do you rebuild it? Right? How, how do you rebuild it once you've lost it? We all make mistakes. Well, I'll start by this telling you what it's not. It's not the apology. People think they say they're sorry and they're trusted again. And it never, ever, ever happens. I'm sorry. I'm late. No, you're not. You're late every single time we get together. 
So the, the friend of mine from the Netherlands, the CEO, said this when he came to America. He said, the first thing I know is it's different is you got a bunch of lying apologizers in America. They all say they're sorry and they don't mean it. Um, but that was the people he was around. But I think the, the, the only way to make, to, to rebuild trust is to make and keep a new commitment. So there's a 10-step process in my first book of how you rebuild trust, and we've had some other processes, but whether you're a big company that's done it well, like British Petroleum, or you're a, terrible, a different company I won't name that you know that hasn't done rebuilt trust in, in Minneapolis, that um, you, you, it all comes down to making and keeping a new commitment. doesn't mean you don't need to start with an apology to open the door, but you have to make and keep a new commitment. Mm-hmm. If you're ever going to be trusted again, I don't care if that's with your girlfriend or with your company. So as we're getting close to wrapping up here, I know um, you do the Trust Edge survey and you uh, accumulate a lot of data. I don't know if you want to kind of give a little bit of an overview of what that is. And then I don't know if you've got any insights of what's been happening over the last 12 to 18 months and where we're, and if there's trends headed in the right no, direction. There's definitely trends. But uh, so uh, two different types of data collection we do. One is the Trust Outlook. That's our annual study. That's a global study on basically the state of trust in the world and, you know, what we can do about it. Okay. The other types of metrics are inside of organizations, and that's how we assess people in organizations like enterprise trust index, where you at, close these gaps, a Mm -hmm. trust edge self-assessment. So that's helping people in companies. That's that data collection, surveying trust inside of companies or customers and helping them close gaps. The other is just a big study on the state of trust in the world, and that's the Trust Outlook. So Trust Outlook data is all open to you. We, we, we actually pay for that all ourselves and give it away. So trustoutlook.com, you can see the research. Uh, and then if you want to be assessed, we can help you in those kind of ways at trustedge.com. But I don't know. I could go so many ways on the state of the world and our culture, but I'll just talk about institutional trust for a minute. It keeps going down. It's gone down drastically since Watergate in the U.S. So every institution, and this is good for entrepreneurs to know because you have a a special opportunity right now, big is down, generally speaking, and institutions especially. So let's just take the institution of government. Mm -hmm. Right before Watergate, it was about 80% of Americans trusted government to do what's right, less than 7% today. Holy crap. Now let's take the institution of faith, okay? Mm-hmm. About the same number of people trusted in, uh, said they believed in God 80 years ago in America. Any metric that would show that today from going to a place of worship to giving to meeting in Bible studies or anything else is down steeply. Mm-hmm. Take the institution of education. Public mm-hmm. schools were highly trusted. Now, a multitude of people want to homeschool or go to charter schools because they don't trust the institution. Mm-hmm. Take the institution of food, big food. Oh, my God. Now, I want to know it was grown outside my door on a farm that's on the top of my house, right? So, oh, healthcare. <laughs> yeah, uh, healthcare, uh, yeah. media. Media's yeah. trust is one of the worst if you want to look at trust. Um, media is tanked. For those of us in business, this has not always been this way, but business is up. People are trusting businesses and entrepreneurs to do what's right for the best of all more than about any other institution. So that's, that's awesome. And yeah. so I was looking back behind me because uh, Conscious Capitalism is a book yeah. right up there. And mm-hmm. Alexander, the CEO has been on my show and 
it that what you just wrapped up, and this is why I like Ray Dalio and some of these other people that are talking about conscious capitalism and you know the whole uh I think it's the CEO roundtable or the yep. business roundtable are yep. talking about this. Milton Friedman said only for the shareholders, right? And the yep. reality is, and it's so interesting as I, I was, I actually thought about you um, about six months ago. I was I, interviewed on this on the National Association of Corporate Directors on the main stage. Were you really? That, yeah. And it makes a ton of sense because like, honest to God, like, so I had my, so I I won't give the name of my flooring company, but I, I hope certain things <laughs> happen to them because they, they, they came in and you can just tell they came in. There was a bunch of issues with the, with the product. And I call them up, I'm super nice, and I'm talking to them, and they just approached me with screw the customer attitude. And like mm-hmm. it was just immediately apparent. Like it was like, how can we build this case against this customer so they can go away? And like that was the entire engagement versus mm-hmm. what can we do? Like the Zappos, like Tony Shea, God bless mm-hmm. them. The you know, they would buy you pizza, even yeah. though you call them for, for shoes. And it's just this one, what step, what foot do you put forward? The we'll do anything to make your life, eat life, your life easier and better, or only for the company. It's just, it's just this horrible approach, but the conscious capitalism movement is very yep. exciting to see. I, I don't know, like any other uh, uh, ways that those kind of companies are integrating your material. Well, I think, you know, it's that, that question of, caring about that compassion. It's, 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 we have a new thing here we've been saying, and I've been, uh, I, um, it was, oh, I'm trying to think of the movement or where I got inspired on this, but it was something out of New York, actually Praxis or something, but it was basically like the question we want to ask is, sounds a little floofy, I know, but the question we want to ask is, is that loving to all? So is that loving the customer? Is that loving my employees? Like, am I treating, am I, like, I'm the owner. What happens? When you have power, you can do lots of things, just like people that were power over slaves. They could do a lot of things they should have never done, right? Mm -hmm. But it's the same with an entrepreneur. Like, I have the power to give them a raise or not. And I maybe should even when they're not asking, even when they don't think they deserve it. So I'm thinking, what is this, are we creating, is this environment loving? Is this content, like our whole platform that we created for certifying coaches, was with that question in mind, the reason, this is just a simple example of how it's framed the way we do things, but our coaching platform doesn't have a platinum gold, all these things. It's like, it's all there. All of the research is there. All of the assessments, you can use unlimited assessments. All of this, yes, you pay a monthly or an annual fee, low fee compared to anything else in our space and it's premium content, but we put it all there without a, oh, you got to do this nickel and dime. Oh, you could pay more for that. You got to pay per member and this and that. So like simple, clear. And, and we thought, how would we want to be treated? That's the loving choice for our people, right? For those that serve. How do we, so are we providing a loving, are we loving our coaches? Are we loving our team? Are we loving our, that question is, is it loving? Um, I don't know. That's a shift for us to really overtly think, is it loving, especially when if you're an entrepreneur that can kind of be power over and not do the loving thing, even without people knowing it. Mm-hmm. And what's so interesting to your exact example, you're like, if you optimize for the quarterly report or the share, you know, the share price, which can be financially engineered to be whatever you want it to be, like, your actions and how you treat, you know, the, the conscious capitalism that talk about the six stakeholders, win to the sixth power. And like everybody in your organization sees how you treat your suppliers or they see, you know what I mean? Like everybody sees all this stuff anyway. So like, who are you 
fibbing. And it's so interesting. I got friends, David, where like, I'm like, you know, they got some different business models where they can make a lot of money, but most of their workers are lower level workers. And then they're always bitching about the turnover. And I'm just like, okay. So like, if, yes, I'm unconscious capitalist, like most people know that. And I'm like, okay, but even if you were the greediest SOB on the planet, you should probably pay for their benefits and give them a raise because they're going to stay. <laughs> like, you know, you start to realize like, and like, it just is like this compounding effect, the wrong direction, but then they just, it's like, they can't see how ridiculous it is what's being said. So it's, uh, yep. I, it gives me and attrition hope. costs at least two and a half times hiring costs. So, you know, I know it's I know. even a costly things. This has been an absolute blast. I, I know you've got a bunch of resources that we're going to have in the show notes. So why don't you just go, you can just rip them all out and uh, let everybody know. Yeah. Trustedleaderbook.com slash uh, Ryan is going to have some extra cool stuff or a masterclass and um, some assessments and stuff you can just do yourself. So you can go to the, grab the new book, Trusted Leader. If you want to see a demo of our platform, coaching platform, trust. Uh, trust the edge coaching trustedgecoaching.com and we'll give you a free demo and then everything at david horsager or trust edge you can find a whole lot more but uh yeah it's been a treat ryan uh we got to get together in person before long and have a java yeah. and uh <laughs> and connect on a couple things well the world is a, a better place because of the material that you're putting out there and i have one last question for you and that is uh what does the word intentional mean for you what does the word intentional mean the word intentional means I am actively committed. I like it. I like it. Thank you so much for coming on the show, David. This has been an absolute blast. Thank you. Great to be here. Thanks for tuning in to that episode with David Horsager. I don't have a whole lot of stuff that's going to be additive to the interview. I would say if there's one thing that I would recommend is if you're still skeptical that trust is the most important thing that makes our entire world go around, go check out some of David's books. He's got unbelievable amounts of research. He has PhDs that were created off of his research. Trust is more important than capital. Capital comes after two people trust each other and want to exchange goods and services. So I would argue that this is the most important thing that you can do besides trying to figure out how to grow the value of your business because growing the value of your business will come as a result because people in your business trust you, your stakeholders trust you, they trust your vision and they're willing to go along the ride in order to accomplish the vision that you have for you and the business and for the stakeholders. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the episode and I will see you next week.